Welcome to the Church Basement Podcast. Today's topic is community worship in a time of sickness. Grab a cup of coffee or tea, strap on your running shoes, or pick up your knitting needles or crochet hook and join us. I'm Pastor Amanda Zenzelo, and I serve as the pastor at Central Lutheran Church in Northeast Portland, Oregon. And I'm Don Miller, a member here at Central and the producer of the podcast. Okay, so if you're listening to this about the time that it comes out... In 2020. In 2020, it's going to seem obvious why we decided to tackle this subject today. And it could be that in a year or two, it's still really obvious. It's still going to be, well, anytime cold and flu season rolls around, it's going to be relevant. Totally. But at the moment, we are staring down the possibility of a pandemic. Yes. COVID-19, also Mm -hmm. called the coronavirus is currently spiking and arriving. We've had a few initial deaths in the state of Washington, close-ish by here in Portland, and we have had diagnoses here in the Portland metro area. Yes, we have. So this is a topic that lots of people are having conversation about. It is absolutely having impact on ministry and on the way that we are doing ministry, it's impacting the way people are living daily life, and it's certainly impacting the stock on our shelves. Oh, yes. This was also a requested topic. Yes, it was. So we had uh, one of our regular listeners who suggested that perhaps we would have this topic, and so we are listening. Thank you for your suggestion, and that is part of why we're picking this up today. Exactly. Now, let's start with some obvious ones. Mm-hmm. Let's start with, you should be washing your hands. Totally. And this holds all the time. Exactly. Please don't wait for some outbreak of something to have an excuse to wash your hands. Totally. It's definitely having good hand hygienic processes or learning them is really critical to just overall standards of health in our community. I'm not going to decline pointing out how to hand wash right now when people are paying attention to it. Yep. Maybe it will establish some new habits for some folks and our immunocompromised individuals, whether they're elders or whether they're folks receiving cancer treatment or HIV positive folks, they all benefit from us all learning how to wash our hands well. Yep. So regardless of the level of fear or panic that we are attempting to not incite Hand washing is always good. Well, and what I especially love about this is there's nothing fancy about it. It is as simple as a bar of soap and water. Doesn't have to be boiling water. Nope. Doesn't have to be fancy soap. Nope. Just running water, ideally warm, but running yep. water, a bar of soap, or and your soft about soap. 30 seconds. And 20 to, it was so funny on Sunday morning, I asked, how long should we be washing our hands? And I heard everything from 20 to 80 seconds. Mm-hmm. So... The kinds of pieces that I said were, yes, (laughs) Mm -hmm. at least 20 seconds. And it's a great opportunity. The one thing I think that we can, as people of faith, take into this, and as we ponder what it means to be people of faith and be Christians in a time of great sickness, Mm -hmm. is that this is what Christians were known for in the early church. Christians were known for being the ones who showed up in places of sickness and were still present and who gave ministry to. And think of how many hospitals. Healing has been a large part of it from the start. Absolutely. And in some ways, when I was doing my research for my dissertation, one of the sociological viewpoints was that in the early first couple hundred years of Christianity, part of what was appealing about it is that they weren't dying from flus and colds and those kinds of things because they were building up their immunities. Mm. 
And the community, as they were serving in those places, were building up immunities and they were surviving. Wow. And that's a kind of cool draw when you're talking about... It's kind of a superpower, actually. It's kind of a superpower, right? So that was a piece of early Christianity and how it grew so quickly. But what it means for us is, as ELCA Lutherans, our kind of byline is God's work, our hands. Okay. What I encourage the congregation on Sunday morning to think about is that as you are washing your hands, take time to do it. Turn it into a spiritual discipline. Instead of singing the ABCs or happy birthday twice, pick your favorite hymn and sing through or pray through a verse of your hymn and think about how your hands are serving this world. Our hands deserve tender care and love because we use them to impact our world and to create change. Think about the individuals who don't have sick leave, who don't have the opportunity to take time off. Think about those who are caring for the sick. Think about all of the ways in which hands are a part of the solution and your choice to spend the time on your hands and keeping them clean participates in bringing God's presence into this place and space and is a way to be a part of the healing of the community. And so it's not just a toss-off. We can say, go wash your hands, and it can just be a toss-off. It can be a thing that we do without thinking or without intentionality, or we can really be intentional. There are many, many, many faith traditions where hand-washing or any kind of washing is a deep part of their prayer practice. Sure. And there is no reason, particularly in a time of a pandemic, to make that be a part of our spiritual practice. So take the time for it. Let hand washing become something sacred. You can do it with regular things, like a plain bar of soap and simple running water, but let it be a spiritual discipline. It's Lent. If you needed a new spiritual discipline for Lent, <laughs> here you go. Here it is. Take up hand washing as a spiritual discipline. I love it. And the other things when you work in a hospital, teaching you how to wash your hands is one of the first things that they do. Yeah. And some of the pieces that were particularly surprising to me about the order in which to do it was first to establish that there is a paper towel already ready for you before you even turn on the water. Okay. And then you turn on the water, get your hands wet, soap 20 to 80 seconds, and then reach for that paper towel, dry your hands, and then use the paper towel to turn the water off. Oh man, see, now the environmental part of me is all <laughs> no, wasted water. I totally do that too. So the other option is to use your elbow okay. to turn the water off. If it's not like a twisty faucet, if it's got a handle to it and you can turn it off with your elbow, like the bathroom that's mm -hmm. downstairs in our building, right outside the sanctuary, you can easily turn that one off with your elbow. But if you're in one that has like a twisty, yeah, levers are good, knobs are hard. Knobs are hard. So go ahead and, and use that paper towel to turn off the knob because it was your dirty hand that turned it on. Sure. Then walk over, open the door with the paper towel, mm -hmm. and then throw away that paper towel and walk out of the room. All of that minimizes your opportunity to recontaminate your hands. And it was surprising to get those tips. Sure. But once you've established the habit, it's an easy habit. And a lot of places, actually, once you start looking for it, 
keep a trash bin by the exit door. Yes, they do. So use it. The do other thing that I remember seeing somewhere in all the many reminders of ways and parts of your hand that get lost or forgotten. Mm-hmm. The backs of the hands seems like an obvious one that gets lost easily, mm -hmm. but between your fingers is the other one. So I have modified my hand washing practices to spread my fingers and interweave them. Yes. And get in between them as well. And the other is your thumbs. Mm -hmm. A lot of people. The sad forgotten thumb. <laughs> the sad forgotten thumb. Around the thumbs. Sure. And on that base part of your hand, that gets forgotten a lot as well. Absolutely. If you're spending 20 to 30 seconds on it, though, you got time. You've got time. You can get it all. Each little piggy counts. That's right. <laughs> okay, so that's, you know, step one. Yeah. And it's huge. It's it real is. important. When you're actually talking church and going to church and you want to be the good congregation member, mm -hmm. if you're not feeling well, do you want them to stay home? Do you want them to watch on the live stream? What are you looking for in people coming to church? If you have a fever, don't come. Sure. If you have a cough or a sneeze that you know 100% is allergies, I'm not going to blame you for being here. Okay. If you're not certain the origin of that, please stay home okay. and watch on the live stream. Today has been spent, so for folks who are wondering, we record on Tuesday. We do. And a lot of this has been coming up in the last 48, 72 hours kind of a thing. It has. And I've spent most of today kind of doing research. I'm thinking about moving us over to YouTube more quickly than we were planning on changing our live stream. Okay. So that people with smart TVs can watch it easier. Oh, interesting. Rather than just watching on their devices on Facebook. We weren't going to make that switch for another month or two. But with this going on and saying things like, please watch on the live stream. Please sure. don't come into the facility if you're not feeling well. And if you are immunocompromised, if you are one of the members of the at-risk populations, I'm not going to tell you that you have to be here. Now, I don't want people self-isolating so much that they get depressed from isolation. Sure. That's really critical that we're careful with that. But the mortality rate on this for those who are over 70 is super high. Mm -hmm. And that's a lot of our at-risk population. And so I would rather people stay home than to be present just so that I could have good worship numbers. Sure. I will miss people a lot, right? But I want people to be safe. Sure. Okay, so you decide to come. Mm -hmm. You're not really sure. You want to minimize contact. Mm -hmm. What kind of tips would you give to people? And let's start with the passing of the peace, because this is the classic, you're supposed to shake hands. Right. What do you do? What I have suggested, and this is kind of for all cold and flu seasons, this yep. is not just when COVID-19 is out in our world. Nope. This is cold and flu season always every year. You can wave. Sure. You can flash a peace sign. I've seen you do that. I do that a lot when I'm not feeling well. And part of it is because I have so much contact with so many people. Well, and it's not even that, but at a certain point, you got to cut this short. <laughs> and if you haven't made it all the way to the back, you're flashing the peace sign to the people in the back. Right, right. So feel free to use it for those that are far enough away that you can't get to them physically. Totally. There's also the very classic hand over the heart and a little bow. Sure. That is an intentional gesture that someone can see and reflect back to you. 
and gives a genuine kind of engagement with someone if you don't want to be as casual as flipping a peace sign. Sometimes flipping the peace sign is great with little kids who are a little bit shy because it doesn't feel as intimidating toward Mm -hmm. them. But, you know, making that time to fold your hands or to put your hands on your heart and do a small genuflect, that kind of a piece is a lovely piece and keeps everyone safe. Mm -hmm. There's no physical contact there. Fist bumps are better than handshakes. Sure. Use what is smart. Be careful around that time. I know there are some congregations who are removing the passing of the peace from the liturgy right now. Oh, interesting. And they're just flat out removing it. I am less likely to do that during Lent, and I'm more likely to encourage minimal physical contact, but a continued time of reconciliation. Sure. Because I think that's really important during Lent. But each community is doing it their own way and is taking the risks. Everyone is doing their own risk assessment and making choices. Sure. Okay, so that's the passing of the peace. Mm -hmm. The other big one that people will worry about, especially depending on how the congregation does it, is communion. Mm -hmm. Again, back to the environmental impact of your individually sealed and packaged communion stuff. I looked at them today. I priced them out and everything. Oh, it hurts my heart, all the packaging. I can't do it because Mm -hmm. of the packaging. I, I just can't. Now, when I was a kid, I'm not going to lie to you. The common cup freaked me out. <laughs> Drinking from the common cup yes. for folks who aren't familiar with the terminology. Yes. Yeah. But that's the way my home church did it. Yeah. And nobody batted an eye. And possibly that's where my immune system is as robust as it is today. Actually. Mm, but I don't like it. Actually, the truth of the scientific data shows us. Yes. Intinction is the worst way to go. No. Yeah. Wow. Well, that... That's what's boosting your immune system now because we use intinction intention. I never would have guessed that. Uh-huh. Common oh. cup is actually the better way to go by far. How is that even possible? Because they wipe every time? Because they wipe in between every time with a new section of the purificator. That's what it's called. The little cloth is called a purificator. And you train your Eucharistic ministers, your communion servants, to turn the cloth so it's a fresh piece of cloth and wipe the rim between each person. Wow. And then you use a high alcohol content wine, such as a port. Okay. Or something of that manner. And between those two things, and usually the cups being a true metal that has antibacterial and antimicrobial processes I because it's a real metal. reading about that with silver earlier. Right. Mm-hmm. That those things add up, that the common cup is actually, and think about it, It's been used for centuries. Sure, but still. It is the cleanest and the least infectious method of serving the wine. Wow. There's, I, mm, okay. Gonna have to sit with that one for a while. (laughs) And intinction is the worst because people's fingers get into the wine. Oh, well, who does? No, that's just terrible technique. It is terrible technique, but it's reality. That's fair. And so if someone hasn't washed their hands, beforehand, we go back to the washing of the hands. That's where it goes back to. You have someone who hasn't washed their hands, who has touched their face, or who's coughed into their hands instead of their elbow, and then they accept communion, and then they dip that, or they accept it, they hold it in their hand for a couple of seconds before the chalice gets there, 
And then they pick it up and they dip Mm. it in. Even if their fingers don't get in, whatever's been on their hand is now. Sure, sure, sure. And now, having done all this research and read scientific studies in the last 48 hours, I'm really ready for us to not be using indinction anymore. (laughs) Okay. So given all that you've seen, what is your wish for the future? Well, I've been... Honestly, emailing with one of the really gifted and talented physicians who's a member of our congregation. Okay. We've been emailing back and forth today, and she's been sharing with me about the morbidity rates of this particular flu season and virus and all of that kind of piece. And we're talking about, you know, we need to buy new bottles of wine. That's on my list to do today Okay, is to go buy new wine for this weekend. Are we talking high alcohol content yeah. here? Okay. Yeah. If we choose to do wine. Okay. Because the other option is just to serve it in one kind. So that's another opportunity for people to understand a new theological concept. I was going to say, what is this? So the new theological concept to really kind of grasp is that you don't have to take bread and wine to have received communion. Okay. You can receive just the bread and you have received communion in full. Okay. And there's so, no like jump through the hoops of it was bread made with wine. Nope. Okay. Nope. It's perfectly fine to just receive one element. And that's what we call it. We call them elements, mm-hmm. right? So the bread and the wine are each an element and you can receive just one kind of element. Okay. So when we say you can receive communion in one kind and it is fully, we'll use a big term like efficacious. Okay. So you can receive just the bread or just the wine and it does exactly the same thing for you as receiving the whole thing. Okay. Now, you may personally feel like you have had something taken away from you. Okay. And you haven't had the full experience. You've been slighted. Something like that, right? Because you don't have both. But theologically speaking, and in keeping with what we preach and teach and have studied and have come to as a denomination and as Christianity in general, you don't have to receive both in order to have the full presence of God and the strength received in all of those things. Okay. So what some congregations I have heard of are already choosing to do, some of them are using the prepackaged individual cups, the communion celebration cups. I've seen them. I don't think that our congregation with a climate justice focus is going to go with that many single-use plastic pieces. No, no, please. I think that it really would read wrong and people would be very uncomfortable with that. I think that our congregation would be more comfortable with us saying, until this is, until we have found our way through this situation, we are going to only be receiving the bread. Okay. And we will not be using the wine. We will not be communing with the wine. Where do the little cups, the individual cups fall in this spectrum? That was my next question back to Ginny, Mm -hmm. was to say, you know, what about the individual cups? The challenge with the individual cups is you still have someone touching them. Sure. Well, the to pouring put them and the serving. And, well, mm-hmm. there's that. We could get a pouring chalice. And so you don't have someone pouring each individual one and breathing on them. Sure. And so you could trust that someone has washed their hands enough and the cups have been sanitized in our sanitizer and then put into the tray, and then that would be, that the cups would be sanitary, and then there's such a thing as a pouring chalice Mm -hmm. that has just a notch, so you can easily pour just a little bit. And then you have a communion server who has clearly washed their hands and is not sick. What you're getting at is it's a whole lot more work. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work, and it's a new piece of equipment we don't own here. Okay. 
Another option is for one person, doesn't necessarily have to be the pastor, but for one person to be picking up the bread and dipping it and then handing it to the communicant. Oh, that's fascinating. Because that way, you know, the hands have been washed. Yep. You know, no fingers are in. No fingers are in. And so you have that capacity to make certain that it's been kept clean. So that's the other option that we're considering. We also went down the line of, we don't know for our bread bakers, their health, their kitchen's health, all of that. And so the next question, and I haven't been back to my email to see what we may or may not choose to go with, is do we go with wafers this Lent? Because that's a sanitary, it's not going to be perfect, but we can know more than we know about our individual baked bread. Sure. So either a store-bought bread or individual wafers that were possibly made five years ago because wafers don't go stale. But hermetically sealed. sealed. Right. And so those are the kinds of pieces that were really taken seriously. And all of this, not to incite panic. I think that for me is the part, whether it's COVID-19 or whether it's the flu that took me down last year. Sure. Right. I was down and missed the first Sunday in 15 years of ministry due to illness because I got the flu last year. Mm -hmm. So whatever it is, it's trying to be mindful of who's in your congregation and what are the levels of risk and how can you manage that risk in a way that is faithful without inciting panic but is a responsible response to the situation at hand. You've touched on this, but I want to quickly ask, as a pastor, somebody who has a lot of contact, whom are you looking for in terms of information? That's a really great question. So right now I'm talking to a member of our congregation who has had substantial medical experience, is a physician, yep, and has worked for very reputable hospitals and research hospitals here in our local area. And I have also been in touch with and invited feedback from another very respected physician in our congregation, a research physician. And so I get my information from them. I also have personal friends who are physicians and RNs that I've checked in with around this who are here in this local area. Okay. So it's not that I'm getting information from the Midwest where there hasn't been a case yet. Okay. When it comes to the communion practices and those kinds of pieces, my information has come from the Archdiocese of... Olympia. Okay. The Episcopalians are really good about talking about sacramental okay. care. Well, that <laughs> makes sense. Right. And so I've been looking at their kind of stuff that they've put out. There have been a couple other pieces that have been put out from various and sundry kind of larger church groups and paying attention to that. It might be interesting to see what the Roman Catholic Church is putting out around sure. the world. I know the Pope was recently tested for COVID-19, tested negative, but I haven't seen anything in my circles coming officially from that that side. But the ELCA, I'm guessing, would have its own information and put out its own recommendations? It may, but I have not yet seen them. Okay. I've seen the ones coming out of the Episcopalian tradition so far, and that's what's come across my feed. There's lots of conversation around this happening among the ELCA members. Lots of places doing different things, trying to figure out how to find their way and what is going to be the best and safest practice for their area. Excellent. Okay, I'm going to ask one quick throwaway question. Mm -hmm. 
say for whatever reason you show up on a Sunday morning mm-hmm. and it's just you and one other person. Yeah. You still holding service? <laughs> it's a good question, right? Yes. Yeah. I will still hold the service because we live stream. Oh, okay. And because at that point, if it's just me and a couple people in the room, likely most people are watching via live stream. Sure. That makes sense. And we have a lot of folks who do watch our live stream now because we've been doing it for years and years. Yeah. So I think what I did before we had a Sunday, I don't know if you remember it like four years ago, maybe five years ago that we were going to have worship, but we had the big snow and ice storm oh, in Portland. And my friend Megan Rohr was up from San Francisco. And so we live streamed Sunday morning worship from my living room. <laughs> sure. And they had their instrument. And so we were able to have music between the two of us. We sang the liturgy and we did a sermon together and we had communion together and invited, you know, like, yeah. like we did the full service. We just did it in, and it was actually my dining room. Sure. So if it gets real bad, I will probably either just stream from my phone. Sure. Which is what we've been doing for years is using my phone to live stream anyway. Or I'll bring our new equipment home to my house. Sure. And then I'll live stream from the house and I will lead a liturgy from home. If, say, for example, if Portland goes on shutdown or Mm -hmm. churches are told to not hold worship, I don't think that's going to happen but who knows? Who knows? Okay, that's going to lead me to my last question, my mm-hmm. real last question. Mm-hmm. As somebody who often is going to calls and seeing people who are sick or in places like hospitals and doctor's offices, how do you deal with the stress of knowing that that is your reality, cold and flu season every year? COVID-19 aside. Yeah, and especially because... For folks who don't know, I am one of those at risk because my lungs are fairly compromised. I wash my hands a lot. Okay. And I was trained in how to wash my hands back, you know, when I was in my early, early 20s. So I have been following those practices for almost two decades now. So that is habit for me. So I rely on those hand washing practices a lot. I don't touch elevator buttons. Okay. Ever. I just don't touch them. And when I'm in hospital elevators, I don't touch anything. Oh, that makes perfect sense. Right. I use my elbows to press the elevator numbers. Those kinds of things, learning how to use your elbows to open up doors and things like that. I will use my feet to open up doors. I will use my hips to open up doors. Okay. Right. Anything to not touch a surface where a virus or bacteria could be lurking. And I do that regularly every single day of every single year when going to visit people that I love at home it is honestly half the time not them being sick and their threat to me that I worry about it's my threat to them oh sure because I'm the one coming in with outside bacteria and viruses and those kinds of things and I can get sick so much easier than a lot of other people that I can pick it up faster and share it and spread it faster. Sure. So it's oftentimes my anxiety comes from, am I carrying something to someone else? And I will say that that can impact negatively how Mm -hmm. often I visit people. Mm -hmm. And there have been seasons where, like last year when I got the flu, 
there was a woman I wanted to go see and I had it on my calendar for a week from the day after I got off the phone. And then I started to feel under the weather and I didn't go. And it was another month and a half before I was well enough to be able to make any visits to anybody in good conscience. Sure. And she had already died. Oh. Right. But that's the kind of, I think, for people who wonder why Pastor Amanda is not really the best at getting out to visit people, it's often because I am a virus vector. Sure. (laughs) And I'm really careful about it. And I don't want to take it to someone who's immunocompromised in their home. And on Sunday morning, I can always decline to serve communion and have someone else serve communion for me and not shake hands and not greet people at the door and keep my physical distance and minimize my contact and ability to harm other people. But when you're going to visit someone in their home, that's really hard to keep from causing harm. So my anxiety is less about whether or not I'm going to get it and more about what I could give to someone else. And if I get something... It's just my normal, I take care of myself. Sure. It's hard. Remember, I've just been sick and I lost my voice and it's still gone. So I don't know what repercussions that going to have for Easter. I can't sing. We have an entire liturgy planned yep. around my singing voice. It's a new liturgy that we picked out because it would work really well. And I have no singing voice back. So that's not fun, but it's more being really worried about harming others, that that's the anxiety that I carry. Excellent. Well, thank you, Pastor Amanda, for taking the time to help us learn a little more about worship in the time of sickness. I look forward to sitting down with you another week on another topic. As do I, and thank you all so much for listening along. I hope that you found some of this informative and that you will know that we will find our way through this together. Don't panic, but wash your hands. Absolutely. In the meantime, until we are back in your ears again, remember, God loves you no matter what.